You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, starting verse 23, if anyone doesn't have a Bible, we'd love to get one in your hands so you can follow along. Does anyone uh, need a copy of God's Word this morning? I do not see any takers, but oh, oh over, over here. So yeah, we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 3, 23, going to verse 38, looking at uh, Luke's gospel, the genealogy, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Going through the genealogy this week, going through the list of names uh, over and over again, praying and thinking, uh, why is this here and, and how are we to understand what God's word is trying to tell us, uh, makes you think of your own ancestry. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, ancestry.ca or on all those different websites. I haven't really delved into that. I don't really care that much, <laughs> truth be told. But going through this past week, I was starting to think about Okay, what's my background? Uh, Gervin is Scottish. So that's kind of my, my dad's side is Scottish. My mom's side, last name's Dogtrum. And I truthfully and terribly, I always forget. I'm like, hey, wait, what's, our, what's the background on the Dogtrum side? And it's Czechoslovakian. Uh, and it also has some Dutch. I think that's where I get my hype from. And truthfully, I'm like the European Union. Uh, kind of like coming together, right? Like my... The family ancestry is just, have, we have a lot of places covered. My wife, uh, Rebecca, she's Dutch. Her, her, her parents are Dutch. Her grandparents on either side are Dutch. And I remember when I first met them, they're like, if you, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. I honestly, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm somewhat Dutch. Somewhat. That, that probably didn't cut it. But either way, we're married. <laughs> and so she joins the European Union. And... Um, but so as you're going through, like, family background and descendants, it's interesting is if you look at a family line, if you've been to a family reunion, there's a connection immediately if someone's in your family, someone's in your bloodline. You're like, we don't even know them at all, but all of a sudden you're like, you have this connection, this strong connection. We have something in common immediately. We're family. And the question is on a genealogy, even our own ancestry, how far back do you go? Right? Like, because you have the lines and you keep going and, oh, we're related to so-and-so and so-and-so. But if you keep going, all of us, we actually all end up basically in the same place where Luke's gospel does, except for the last line. Descendants of Adam. All of us. And because of that, we actually all share a strong, common bond as, as humans. But, and I hope... And I pray that that's what we're going to see today. But not only for us, but for the one that we're talking about, Jesus Christ. He's one of us. And I want us to see that. So we're going to, we're going to read through uh, the genealogy, or I'm going to. If you guys want to stand with me, Luke chapter 3, 23 to verse 38. Jesus, when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, 
the son of Heli, the son of Mathai, the son of Levi, the son of Malchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Eslai, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the son of Neri, the son of Malchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Almadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elakim, the son of Melah, the son of Menah, the son of Mattathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Abinadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sereg, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And before going on any further, again, I just always, I want to go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to do what I cannot. Oh Lord, I thank you for your word, even as hard it may be challenging as it is to think through a list of names and wonder why you put it there in Scripture for us to remember. Oh Lord, I pray you'd give us insight. I pray you'd use this word proclaimed uh, to pierce our hearts. Oh Lord, that we are frail humans in need of a Savior, in need of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us to live as we ought as we can't on our own. I pray that this word proclaimed would would help point our eyes to Jesus Christ, that you would do your work in each one of us. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear what you'd have to say. So I pray you'd use your servant now. I pray for boldness. I pray for clarity. And I pray you'd give us greater understanding of your text here this morning, that it would change our lives as only you can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of my message, He's One of Us, I hope you're going to see uh, very clearly by the end of the message why I'm saying that. If you'll notice, there's this abrupt pause in the story, as in the narrative. If you're with us last week, we looked at Jesus' baptism. Jesus baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove in bodily form, as he comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Verse 23, when Jesus, he began his earthly ministry, he's about 30 years of age. There's this anticipation of what's coming next. And it's like, and then there's this long list of names. Right? Like if you're reading correctly, there should be a growing anticipation of what's coming. Again, just think of the recap so far. 
Think about what's been said already. Think about what Mary got told her by the angel Gabriel of the child to come. In verse 32 and 33 of chapter 1, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Think about what Zacharias said, filled with the Holy Spirit. In 1 verse 78 and 79, before Jesus was born, he's going to come to give light to those who sit in darkness. Sorry, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's, that's the one who's coming. In, in 2 verse 11, the, the angel it says to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then there's Simeon, there's Anna, there's their proclamation of the one who, who came. There's John the Baptist we looked at last week when everyone's like, Are you the Christ? Are you the one? And he says, No. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Anticipation should grow and grow in this culmination. He's baptized. His earthly ministry begins. There's a genealogy. <laughs> like, honestly, if you're reading correctly, if you've never read Luke's gospel before, you should be like, okay, this is the one. Here he's come. It's about to start. And then there's this list of names. <laughs> and it, like, it honestly should be that shocking. We're so accustomed maybe to reading the gospel. We're like, why is it there? We're not sure. But it just seems out of place with everything that's happening. The momentum kind of stops. But, but friends, as we've been seeing, we'll continue to see, we need to know about the doctor's details. Luke, the doctor, he cared about the details. Why this genealogy, right? The reason this gospel is written, I'll say it so many times in 1 verse 4, he wrote that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You may have certainty. So you know what you believe is true. Not just believe in some pie-in-the-sky idea, not faith in some cloudy, unknown God, but it was written so that our faith would rest on eyewitness accounts, events that have happened in real time in history. Our faith would stand on the concrete trustworthiness of the Word of God. The doctor has details, names, and places. He's led by the Holy Spirit to write. There's a reason for each word being written. So why this genealogy? As you're, as you're uh, reading through Scripture, and you're kind of maybe asking questions, it's always good, like, what came before? What comes after? Are there any names repeated? Is there any common thread in which we have? And I believe there is. I believe it's the Son. We see in verse 22 at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father saying to Christ the Son, You are my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. The next verse. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the Son, as was supposed of Joseph. Supposed Son. We'll see clearly later that it's not. The whole genealogy goes through, ends with verse 38, the Son of God. And what we're going to look at next week, look at 4 verse 3, 
The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, it's the son. That's the common thread. This, this genealogy, I believe, gives us clarity to who the son is as he starts his earthly ministry. I think that's, that's the big common thread that we need to see. Where we're going to be going here, as we're like asking the question, why this genealogy? I want us to look at one verse, verse 23. I want us to think about genealogies as a whole, big picture. Then we're just going to compare Matthew's genealogy, Luke's genealogy. As we start to be like, why is Luke's genealogy here? And what is God trying to tell us through that? So looking at the first verse in the genealogy, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. I just want you to see this before we kind of dive into the list of names and thinking through genealogies. He was about 30. Interesting, in the gospel accounts, there's only two age markers we have of Jesus. In his ministry years, we have when he was 12, we have when he was born. But in his ministry years, we have here that he was 30. Then we also have in John uh, chapter 8, verse 57, Jesus in his conversation with uh, Jews who believed and he was kind of pressing them if they really did believe. And Jesus said, was, before Abraham was born, I am. Claiming to be divine. Claiming to be Yahweh, I am. And the Jews in response says, hey, you're not even yet 50. And you were before Abraham. So those are the, actually the only two age markers we have. And I'll just point out that so in John's gospel then, they're saying, hey, you're, you're young. You're not even yet 50. So anyone who's 50 years and older, now I'm joking, I don't know. Maybe it's a different time that we live in now. <laughs> but, but so there's that age marker, but then there's 30. It seems like he began his ministry at the age of 30. Why is 30 so important? There's, there's many, a number of important people who began their ministry or began something important in the scriptures at age 30. We have Joseph in Genesis 41 verse 4. 46, Joseph started serving Pharaoh, right? And he was able to interpret his dream and became second in command to Pharaoh. It started at age 30. King David, the, the top king of Israel's history, he became king, at, you, you can guess it, age 30. That's when he began to reign. But I think it's even more important, it's the age that people started serving in the temple, Numbers 4, verse 3, and other places, you had to be 30 years of age in order to start serving in that capacity, uh, serving the Lord. So really, it's just it's an appropriate age for Jesus to begin serving. I love what David Garland, one commentator, says, the age signals to the reader that Jesus is now a mature, responsible man ready for his public career. After the extraordinary events surrounding his conception and birth, Jesus has apparently lived for 30 years as an ordinary, anonymous man. Like, just think about this. So we have just previous, when, when Jesus was 12 years old, that's the, all we have of Jesus before his earthly ministry. Jesus is in all time is measured by his birth. 2024, in the year of our Lord, because roughly 2024 years ago, Jesus was born. All time measured by his birth, but he lived in like, for 30 years in basically obscurity. 
Like we, we don't know. We have no idea what he was doing. We don't have a record. We know from earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus submitted to his parents. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. And that was pleasing to God. Isn't that interesting? Like, it's not recorded at all. He was being faithful. No one was watching. That's, that's something we can, I think, just take to heart, that we know Jesus was faithful. We know he did what he was supposed to do. And there's no record of it. And it's still good, and it's still glorious. I just want to think about this, this age 30. Can this help us in our understanding of calling and preparation, and particularly for young people here today? Preparation and patience are always part of doing, doing things, anything, but doing great things. We shouldn't rush it. We should trust God's timing. God has his way of forming us and preparing us. Jesus was 30 before he began his earthly ministry. Like in, in our day and age, and maybe it's we're like, hey, younger people need to be doing as many things as possible, and hey, we need to raise up more leaders, and amen, we do, 100%. But there's a time of preparation, there's a time of testing, and Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry. Just something to, to take in, something to chew on. So continuing on there in verse 23, I want you to see this as kind of the genealogy is about to begin. He's about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph. This is a supposed son. This, this word for suppose, Luke likes to use it a number of times. He uses it nine times, eight times. It's always like you suppose something totally wrong. You think it's something, but it's actually not that at all. One example in Acts chapter 8 verse 20, the apostle Peter comes, lays hands on people. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And there's one guy, his name's Simon the Magician. And he, he thought, he supposed you could buy the Holy Spirit with money. That's the same word. He thought totally wrong. That's the way that Luke's using it about Joseph. Some people thought Joseph, they supposed Joseph was the father. He wasn't at all. We know the story. We read it previous, but that's actually kind of what is being implied here. Like, don't miss it. Right at the start of the genealogy, it's not Joseph. He's not the father. So that, that's interesting. We need to note that as we think about why it is here. But it's very clear within Scripture, Joseph is not the father. So that's just one verse as we go into the genealogy. Now I just, again, want to think big picture, the importance of genealogies. Why are, are they in the Bible? There's this genealogy. Just maybe question, maybe between you and the Lord, are there any fans of genealogies? <laughs> As in, we, like, we all have our favorite place to go to in Scripture. If you haven't read somewhere for a while, some people are like, man, I, I go to the Psalms, I go to Proverbs, I go to Romans, the Gospels. Is anyone like, I, I turn to the genealogies as fast as I can. <laughs> and then between you and the Lord, do you read every name? This is between you and God. <laughs> do you read every name? And I'll just confession up here. I was in Genesis for my, my readings this week. And uh, it, I forget the exact chapter, but it was the genealogy of Esau. And it's kind of like his story's finished, so they're just like, he had a son who had a son who had a son. And I did go a little faster through, at times. 
at times. I think sometimes it's good as you're, re- as you're reading it to notice if there's any a difference, anything different said. If there's a pattern, there's a pattern, there's an exception to the pattern. That's very important. Watch that. But just, just think genealogies. Why are they in the Bible in such frequency? We find them in Genesis. There's so many in Genesis. Other parts of the Bible's Chronicles, Ezra, other places. What one is like not everyone could serve as a priest. You had to be a Levite, and then certain responsibilities within the temple doing certain things, you had to be from different family backgrounds. So you had to know, hey, who is you, who, what is your descendant? Like, where are you coming from? So you could serve or not serve in certain places. Even those who served as singers in the temple. There's from a certain kind of lineage. Those who uh, served in other ways, of course, the big thing of the genealogies was the kingly line. If you were, were you a descendant to the throne? And genealogies were very important, especially as, as Judah, Israel and Judah, as they were kicked out of the promised land and went to Babylon. They're exiled for 70 years, and then they were when returned back. They're like, other people wanted to serve and, and, and have different roles and responsibilities. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Who are your parents? Who's your family? So then genealogies are really important to prove who you came from, because if you couldn't prove it, you couldn't serve. So we see that for sure. But I think the most important aspect of the genealogies comes from the promise made in Genesis 3.15. You can, you can turn there with me. Genesis chapter 3, keep a finger there in Luke. This promise that's made to Adam and Eve, this is made after the fall, after sin entered into the world. Many of us, we know this story all too well, right? That God made everything perfect. Six days of creation, this is very good. He rested on the seventh. God gave gave them freedom in the garden. You can eat from any tree. Prohibitive from one. And then we know Genesis chapter 3, the snake appears. Goes to Eve. Gets her to start doubting God's word. Did God really say you shouldn't? He's holding something back from you. And so she takes the fruit she wasn't supposed to. Sins against God. Gives some to Adam, her husband. He takes it. He eats it. Sin enters into the world. And we all know this too well. Sin, the brokenness. It's not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way things will continue to be. God willing. The Lord returns. So sin enters into the world. though, And then God kind of brings everyone to account. The snake... Eve, Adam. And so it said this to the snake and to Eve, ultimately the descendants of her humans. 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is talking to the snake, the serpent. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. As in there's, there's one coming, a descendant from Eve, a human who will crush the head of the snake. That's what's being said. 
We see in Scripture, we call this the first gospel. Someone's going to come, a descendant of Eve, he's going to crush the head of the snake, but who? But who? Throughout the Old Testament, if you're reading correctly, you're always like, is it going to be? Is it, is it going to be? The question's actually not fully answered, but we continue to get more clues along the way. Oh, it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Someone who comes from Abraham, for sure, is going to crush the head of the snake. But then it starts getting more narrow. You know, Jacob, he had 12 sons. It's going to come from the tribe of Judah. Descendant of Abraham, tribe of Judah, okay. Someone from there is going to come, going to crush the head of the snake. Then as we, we continue to learn, we're like, oh, it's someone from David's line. David's kingly line, the Messiah. That's the one we're looking for. So that's also why it's hugely important genealogies because they're painting the picture of who's the Messiah. Where did he come from? Are genealogies important? Yes, because they trace the line of the Christ, Jesus, God in the flesh. And again, just notice this as you read Scripture. After Jesus came, there's not another genealogy. He came. The one we've been waiting for came. It's accomplished. There's not a, a list of names following him. There's followers of Jesus. Simply followers of him. So genealogies are hugely important. Going back there to the New Testament, but why this one? Why Luke's gospel? And I, again, I just want to point out the differences between Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. So we can gain full, fuller understanding. Matthew's gospel, interesting, the New Testament and God's providence and his planning the New Testament starts with the genealogy. Right? Like you, if you think if you're writing a book, the publisher would be like, whoa, whoa, like that's not how you enter into an important section of a book. But God in his infinite wisdom wanted to tell us something. So Ma Matthew's gospel, the New Testament starts the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Of course... Like normally genealogies, it starts with the oldest person first. I just, I just want to point out a few things. I'm not going to read that one too. <laughs> the, starts with the oldest person and goes to the present. That's how no normally genealogies work. There's a number of women present. Each has a significant story. There's three sets of 14. It starts with Abraham, goes to David, goes from David to the exile, goes from the exile to Joseph. Three sets of 14, 42 names. It's done like this so they could memorize it. Very easy to memorize. People for sure are skipped. It's more just to have it match up perfectly. It's Joseph's family line. That's how it begins. But Jesus, descendant of Abraham, descendant of David, the Christ. That's what's being said there. Luke's gospel, though. Luke's gospel has 77 human names. Luke's gospel... In a, in a strange way, there's not really many examples of this, and it starts in the present and goes all the way to the past. It goes in the opposite. And that's not normal of, of genealogies. But again, there's, like, there's not really any genealogies that exist where like, there wasn't a human father. <laughs> there's, it's totally unique. 
And for sure, I hope you can see, it's like Joseph is clearly not the father, so this genealogy, I would say, is not about him. Right? Because it's in the first line, it's like, no, no, Joseph was supposed to be the father. He's not. The way even the Greek is set up, there's these markers after each one. It doesn't even say son, but basically like of this person, of that person. And Joseph doesn't have it. Luke's like, no, no, like Joseph is not the father. So even if with the first real name, uh, Heli, that would be Jesus' grandfather. And I would believe, actually, it would be in Mary's line. The early church, there hasn't actually been like a clear consensus on this, but I think that makes the most sense. There's Joseph's line in Matthew's gospel. This is Mary's line, her lineage, uh, in Luke's gospel. But even as you go through it, if you're like, I don't know about that, I just want to point out a few of the names, the ones that we would expect to see. It's not surprising it goes through David. The Messiah had to come through him, so it's not surprising he had to come through Judah. Judah's there. It's not surprising. Descendant of Abraham. None of that's surprising. The kingly line. But the list of names just keeps going, though. And there's actually, there's so many names, we actually don't know who these people are. But of course, where does it go to? It goes to the son of Adam. It shows his humanity. Even as we pray today, I love, one of us talked about, hey, if, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Those are the kind of like the, the camps. And as a Gentile, you're out of the promises of God. But Jesus' line goes past Abraham. It keeps going all the way to Adam. It shows his humanity. David Garland notes this. It shows Jesus' connection to the human race. Tracing the genealogy beyond Abraham, the father of the Jews, to Adam, the father of all nations. I think that's so significant. And of course, there's, there's one more name. The son of Adam, the son of God. Showing his divinity even in his genealogy, which I believe is so linking him to our humanity. Again, I just point out there's many people in this list who aren't even known. We don't even know who they are, what they did. And think about it. They don't even know their importance, maybe as they lived, of like what line they were going to be in. I'm going to read a lengthier quote. I love what this, this man says, this commentator. He says, many people in this list are completely unknown. And unknown to them, they were playing a part in salvation history. History never looks like history when you're living through it. Did those who lived in the days of Malachi and Adai, be verse 28, do they have a clue what God was preparing? One knows that God is, is doing during this time only when one looks back and sees what God has done. All along, God secretly ordered the economy of salvation so that all of Israel's history moved toward the Messiah. It gives hope for the future. God continues to work to bring all things to a final, glorious culmination. I just love that. There's all these unknown people. They don't know how God was working, how through their line, the Messiah was going to come. And I love that. Like, we're, they're living history now. And to understand where we are and where we're going, we need to look back. But I want you to see, especially here this morning, so not only Jesus, he's a descendant of Abraham, David, Judah. Not surprising. But I really want you to see clearly this morning, he's in the line of Adam. He's human. He's like us. 
And I want you to see why this matters so greatly. He's one of us. Think the, the, the baptism of, of Jesus here recorded in Luke. So Luke 3, 22. The Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Is the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When he's saying beloved son, like he's talking about like Christ the Son. Christ existed for all of eternity. If we just have that, where does it put Jesus? Jesus is like, he's high with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and the Son. Amazing. The Messiah came, but the Messiah is not like us. He's, the, he's, he's high, he's lifted up, he's holy. We can start to have that mentality. But then there's this genealogy that comes, no, no, he's a descendant of Adam. He's like one of us. He's human. And of course I know as I'm saying this, there's this tension, he's 100% God. He's 100% man. When he was born of the virgin. I think, that's, I think this is the main point. He is one of us in our humanity. He's fully human. He ate. He grew. He cried. He laughed. He slept. He wept. He was tired. He felt sorrow, pain. The list goes on and on. He gets us because he's one of us. Like, j just think about that because Jesus can relate to our humanity. Because he lived, he walked, he breathed. He gets us, he's one of us. I don't know have, if anyone has ever traveled abroad and you're in some foreign country and so, I don't know, people used to do it, they put like Canadian flags on their backpack. Canadians were at one point loved around the world. I don't know where we're at these days. But uh, as, you, as you saw another Canadian, immediately you'd have a connection. It didn't matter where they were. Oh, you're from Canada, I'm from Canada, boom. You get me because you're one of me. You're like, Tim Hortons. No, it's really good marketing on their part that I just said that, right? Like maple syrup. I don't know. Hockey. What, like, what is it? But like when you're on a foreign land and you find someone who's like where you're from, even the country, the vast country that's Canada, there's a, a media connection. We start to understand each other very quickly. Oh, you're one of us. One of us Canucks. I think that's why it's so huge. If it was just like God, a voice from heaven, and like, hey, we got to bow our head and worship and do what he needs, that's okay. But no, Jesus came down and walked as a man. He's one of us. And it's so significant that he came clothed in our humanity. Because, friends, we are a species, humans, with an incurable disease called sin causes depression, destruction, and death. Like, we're a mess. Humanity. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, speaking of Adam, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have 
sinned and Adam all die. Think about this. This is our genealogy. If you keep going back, wherever you're from, wherever you're going, if you keep pulling the names back, you get to Adam. We're all there. And in Adam, we all die. We all have that incurable disease called sin sickness that's going through our bodies, through our hearts. The joy, there's a joy of being human, but also comes with the curse of humanity too. Our flesh, our sinful nature, our human nature. And just think about how truly, how weak we are. Even the strongest human who like can lift so much weight, so big and powerful, they need to sleep. And like do nothing. The strongest amongst us lay down and do nothing. Because if you don't, you're going to crumble. We're so weak. We're not that amazing. Think about just even as humans where we can do so many things, come up with so many plans, and we can destroy ourselves so many times over again. We're made in the image and likeness of God, and so we can plan and we can gather but because we're cursed, we gather for ourselves. We get as much as we can and push other people away. The curse of humanity. And you just think about this. We have these devices and we can take pictures of God's beautiful creation everywhere. Mountains and rivers and valleys and sunsets. And the, the sole use of it is to get in front of it ourselves. It's like, hey, I went to the Grand Canyon. I want to show you a picture of the Grand It's like, I can't see the Grand Canyon. You're, you're in the way of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> like, that, that sums up humanity. Like, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And we're like, no, no, it's about me. I want to get in the way. Just painting this picture, like, but Jesus, he relates to our humanity. He came to represent us. Live as one of us. Walk the ground that we walk fully human in all experiences, of course, but, but he, he never sinned. He did not have that sinful nature because Joseph wasn't his dad. He's born supernaturally. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. A lot being said there in Hebrews, but I just want you to see this point. We don't have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love that. He's, he's not just the son of God. He is the son of God. He is divine. He's also the son of man. He's human. And this is significant because at times, friends, we have been tempted and we have sinned. We have been wronged and we have retaliated with hate. We have maybe told stories to others and lied, embellished the truth. We have been alone. We looked at what we shouldn't. We have taken what wasn't ours. We've talked about people behind their backs. The list goes on and on. Jesus in his teaching, as he summarized the commandments, how do you live a life pleasing to God? He said, okay. It's like basically summarizing it in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's what we're called to do. But, but we don't. We love ourselves. So God help us. 
And he does. That's the most beautiful thing. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus. Where I was tempted and sinned, he withstood the temptation. Really going to be looking at that in greater detail this next week, next Sunday. Where I've responded with anger and hatred, Jesus was gentle and loving. Where I lied, he told the truth. Where I lusted, he was pure. When I stumbled alone, he was righteous. Where we've all failed, he always did what was right and lived the righteous life that God requires. He is the righteous human being we fail to be. He lived this way to represent us. In his baptism, he was identified with sinners. It was a baptism of repentance at John's baptism. He came. He hadn't sinned. He's like, I came. I'm with these people, these sinners. In this genealogy, we've seen he's a descendant of Adam, yet the son of God. Friends, so that on the cross, he could represent us. Taking our sins, the punishment that we deserve for our sins from a holy God, he made the way for us to be made right with God the Father. So everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ would be forgiven. And this, I want you to see this, and I've said it before, and I'll I'll say it a hundred more times because it's so amazing. Think about what we get on the cross. We're forgiven our sins. Jesus had to be a perfect human life. He was righteous. He had to be God to take the punishment of the Father upon himself, the punishment we deserved, buried in the grave and rose again. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in him are forgiven. We cannot be perfect. We cannot meet the righteous standard that God requires. We're forgiven our sins, but as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive his perfect life. His perfect human life credited to our account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because he was a human. Think about how do you apply this? So I didn't go through the list of names, of every single name. A lot of these names are unknown. I really just focus on like, why is it here? Because he's the son. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. And like, so how do you apply? How do you get to a genealogy? You're like, how do you live this out? Quite simply, believe. If anyone's here today and you're like, oh, I don't know Jesus like this. Whoever is hearing this, you are an ancestor of Adam. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same sickness. Will you believe in Jesus, your Savior? And find freedom, find forgiveness. Find life in Christ. And even if you're like, yeah, I'm a believer, it's like, believe again. 
Savior, savor the Savior. It's hard to even say. Savor the Savior. What I mean by that is, if you are like eating steak and it's incomparable and the analogy breaks down completely, but you eat it as quick as you can, you don't even taste it. You didn't savor it. That's the, what I mean, that term savor. What we see, Jesus Christ, what we see, how he lived for us, how he identified for us, savor that, think about that, dwell on that, meditate upon that. It doesn't matter. You won't hear it. If you're do- I'm like, man, I'm doing things perfectly. I'm just nailing it. But if you're like the rest of us or all of us and we stumble and we fall and we still have this broken humanity, even as we seek to follow God and make much of Jesus Christ, you're like, oh, but Jesus, he's one of us. And he walked perfectly in ways that we cannot and we can rest in that and we can trust him for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, in Adam all die. That's our guarantee. Descendants of Adam, in Adam all die. So also, in Christ shall all be made alive. All in Christ will find life. And life eternal. And then more than that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have Christ's life at work in us, in our broken humanity, making us more like Jesus. All for God's glory and his praise. So friends, I hope you saw, I hope you heard, I hope you can savor. He is one of us, so he could live for us. He could die for us, so we could live with him and for him. For God's praise and glory. If you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord. I thank you for your scriptures. Lord, I thank you for even genealogies, for lists of names. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are descendant of Adam, that you chose to come and be clothed in human flesh. And humbly, the creator coming amongst the creation. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd help us to dwell and think on this often. I pray when we see our own shortcomings, our own failings, that we look to you, the perfect one, the one who walked as we could not, the one who died in our place. Lord, seal this word in our hearts and help us by your Holy Spirit uh, to walk differently, by your Holy Spirit to live for Christ, make much of you God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.